You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. You know, I bet a bunch of us had not heard the second chorus of that song. God, mend thy every flaw. What a, what a great prayer for all of us to pray that God would mend every one of our flaws, right? It's it's a great prayer. Well, we're continuing today in our series, A Life Worthy. At the uh, beginning of chapter four of Ephesians, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so the question that we're wrestling with this summer is what is the calling we have received as people who follow Jesus and how do we live a life, how do we lead a life worthy of that calling? In week one, Pastor Doug talked about the the calling to unity, the calling for the body of Christ to be unified, to have uh, patience and gentleness and a loving spirit with one another and to be people who seek peace in our relationships. And then last week, in the second week of the series, Pastor Doug talked about the, how the calling is to live into the giftedness which God has placed in each one of us, and specifically to serve humbly and selflessly as Jesus served. And so today we continue in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, and today we will see that the calling God has placed on our lives is to put off the old self and to be made new, to be made holy. To live a a life worthy of the calling we have received, we must die to our old selves and clothe ourselves with Christ. So let's see what Paul has to say to us today as we continue in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Beginning in verse 17, Paul says, "'Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord,' You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. Now, Ephesus was a place that was filled with Gentiles. The church was really young in Ephesus when Paul was writing. Of course, the church was young in all of the New Testament letters, right? This was a new, this was a new thing that was happening. And, and Paul is writing to these new converts to this new faith and challenging them to live differently than the people around them who don't know Jesus and who don't follow Jesus. He makes these distinctions between the Gentiles and between these new believers. The first thing he says is that the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. Another translation calls it the emptiness of their minds. Paul is saying that the the Gentiles, the people in the world around who don't follow Jesus, they, they focus on inconsequential things, unimportant things, things that don't have eternal significance that don't impact eternity and that that's not what the people who follow Jesus should be about. And then in verse 18, Paul says, the Gentiles are alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. How does a person's heart 
become hard. You know, I think maybe the most important thing for us to to realize today, the the most important truth about hard-heartedness for us to realize is that it doesn't happen quickly. Hardness of heart comes because of a repetitive pattern of sin over a period of time. And it is that sin that makes our hearts hard, that, that unwillingness to listen to and respond to God's voice. I think the most vivid example of hard-heartedness that we have in scripture is the story of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Many of you know this story. Moses has come to Pharaoh over and over again to ask him, would you please set the Israelite people free? And every time Pharaoh says no, and, and God gets involved and starts to send these plagues to the people of Egypt, things that are just just awful happening to the people of Egypt. And Moses says, now will you relent? Now will you relent? And every time Pharaoh says, no, I will not let the people go. You see, Pharaoh lived in a repetitive pattern of sin over a period of time. Over and over again, Pharaoh had an opportunity to respond obediently to God's leading. And over and over again, he refused. Pharaoh's heart was hard. Continuing in Ephesians 4, verse 19, Paul says, they, the Gentiles, have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Hardened hearts are not sensitive hearts. And they are prone to fall into all sorts of sin. This is a scary reality. This ought to sober us today. We need our hearts to be soft and sensitive and tender in order to respond obediently to God's calling in our lives. I want to tell you about a meeting I had this week. I had a meeting with a young man who's part of our church this week who has sinned. And the sin that he has committed has caused a great deal of anguish in his life and in his family. But as he sat with me this week to to share this with me with tears in his eyes, he told me about how God had been speaking to him and working on him. He told me about how he had felt the breath of God as he knelt and prayed at an altar, how he just sensed the spirit working on him to change him as he repented of his sin. You see, he sinned, but he has decided not to live in a repeating pattern of sin. He committed a sin that he was not going to let continue. And because of that, it was so beautifully evident to me that his heart was tender. His heart was not hard because he was not living in a repeating pattern of sin. We cannot live a life worthy of the calling we have received if we have hardened hearts. And so I want to say to you today that if you are living in a repetitive pattern of sin, And if you have made a habit of ignoring God's voice and the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life, you are in danger of your heart becoming hard. 
And Paul tells us in this passage that our hard hearts alienate us from God. I don't wanna be alienated from God. I don't want you to be alienated from God. If you are engaged in a repetitive pattern of sin, it's time to change. It's time to repent, to turn your life around, talk to one of your pastors, begin practicing your spiritual disciplines again, but don't continue in the deadly pattern of sin and allow your hearts to become hardened. In verse 20 of Ephesians 4, Paul says this little sentence, that is not the way you learned Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. Paul is saying to his readers in Ephesus, and he's saying to you and me today, you know better. You know better than to live like the world around you. You know better than to have the same values and the same priorities as those who do not call on the name of Jesus. You know better than to continue in the sinful lifestyle that you see. That is not the way you learned Christ, he says. I think in this really brief verse, we see Paul's pastoral heart. You know, if Paul didn't care about the church in Ephesus, if he didn't care what happened to them, he, he wouldn't write this heartfelt message to them. And so Lima Community Church, I wanna tell you that we pastors, we love you. We love you. Now, I know we don't always get it right. I know we miss it sometimes, we, but we care about you. We love you. And, and as I interact with our staff and I have conversations with them about the things that they're walking through with you, the things that are happening in your lives, it's so evident to me how much you are cared for by our team. We love you. And because we love you, because Paul loved the church in Ephesus, we want to say that's not how you learned Jesus. It's why it's hard for us when you struggle. It's why it's hard for us when we see you living in a way that we know is outside God's best plan for you. It makes us want to say with Paul, that's not how you learned Jesus. So how did you learn Jesus? You know, I learned Jesus by watching my grandparents read their Bibles and kneel at their uh, blue and white checked chair in Belfont, Kentucky. Pretty vivid memory for me. I learned Jesus by watching my mom and dad give their lives to the church and be completely sold out to the body of Christ all of their lives. I learned Jesus because over all of my years, I've had people who cared about me and discipled me and pastored me and mentored me and taught me. And I've learned Jesus by reading the words of his faithful followers. What about you? How did you learn Jesus? And more importantly, are you living in such a way today that is inconsistent with how you learn Jesus? If so, listen to Paul with me. That is not how you learned Christ. Change, repent, don't wait. 
is not how you learn Jesus. Continuing in Ephesians 4, Paul says, you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourselves with the new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, if you know Paul, if you've read Paul, there's a lot of familiar material here, right? The renewing of our minds takes us straight to Romans 12, doesn't it? The, uh, the idea of being clothed with the new self, of clothing ourselves with Christ. There's this beautiful passage in Colossians 3 where Paul just breaks that down and, and talks about practically what it looks like to be clothed in Christ. These are repeated themes in Paul's writing, ideas that he comes back to over and over again and that, that ought to cause us to say, why are they so important to Paul? What is it that he has to say to us here? You know, our journey of faith is a journey in which we die to our old selves. This is actually why we baptize people the way we do. Because when, when you are immersed in the water, it symbolizes the burial of your old self, <laughs> right? And then when you are brought up out of that water, it's symbolic of the new life that you have in Christ, the freedom that you have in Christ, a, a new priorities, new commitments, a new heart that God has given you. This is why we baptize people the way we do, because we must die to our old selves. You know, being married to a counselor is wonderful. She diagnoses me, and I know this. Now, she doesn't tell me she diagnoses me, and that's, you know, that's what makes it okay. Um, I, don't, I don't need to know what all my problems are, at least not out loud. But seriously, I learn so much from Carrie, and one of the things that Carrie has helped me see is how our minds are drawn to novelty. That when something is, is new, our minds notice it and we're opened up a little bit. We're, we're put in kind of a posture of, of learning. Now, I think you could illustrate this very easily where if you would go home this week and uh, one of you in the family, when nobody else is home, move a piece of furniture and when they all come home, see if they notice. They're all gonna notice, right? You take the pictures out of frame. Some people are laughing. Maybe you've done this on purpose like, Hope they come in, the lights are out, they trip over the new coffee table. I don't know if that's what you're thinking, but you know, you, you change the, the frames or the, the pictures in the frames and people notice it. People's, people's eyes are drawn to things that are new. Now we see this in our oldest son, Braden, quite a bit. Now it used to be that every time I preach, I had to have either Legos, chocolate chip cookies, or the Gaither Vocal Band. Those were like the triumvirate of sermon illustrations for Brad. Um, I haven't done any of those for a while, but today it's Legos. We're going back to Legos. Braden has um, he has some Legos in his room, and by some Legos, I mean more than you can possibly imagine. Eighty-four sets. Eighty-four Lego sets. All Star Wars, it's quite a nice theme, but Brayden's got all these Lego sets in his room. And earlier this week, I needed to get out onto our roof 
to check something. And the easiest way onto that part of our roof is through a window in Braden's room. And so what I did was I moved some of his Legos so that when I came back in the window, I would not step on them and lose my salvation. And so I moved, I moved the Legos so that I could, you know, come in and out easily. And do you know what Braden asked me just a little bit later? Why did you move my Legos? It did not take Braden long at all. He has 147,000 little Lego pieces in his room. That's probably a conservative estimate, but he wanted to know why I moved those three. Right? I mean, this is kind of what it was. Our minds are drawn to things that are new. And Paul says in this passage that we must be making our minds new. Actually, what he says is that we must be allowing the Spirit to renew our minds. I think one of my favorite things that God does is make things new. God always makes things new. How is he making you new? What new things are you doing to grow closer to him? Are you being made new or has your growth stagnated? Has it stopped for a little while? If you find yourself not cultivating the relationship with Jesus that you want to have or the relationship that you once cultivated, what needs to change? Maybe it's time for something new for you, a new habit, a new discipline, a new way to study the Bible, a new way to pray, a new place to study the Bible or to pray. Maybe it's time for you to find a place to serve or to join a small group. If you aren't being made new the way you once were, I can tell you two things for sure. One, it's not because God stopped trying. And two, it's not because God looked at you and thought, I think they're good to go. <laughs> Certainly not what God thought when he looked at me. He sees plenty that still needs to be made new. God is always making all things new and he will make us new to the degree with which we will cooperate with his spirit. The next part of this passage that we've already read says that we are created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I wanna talk about holiness a little bit this morning. You know, our church is a holiness church. Our denomination believes in holiness. It's one of the three core values of our denomination. The Church of the Nazarene is a holiness denomination. Holiness is the continued shaping and molding of ourselves, our new selves, into the image of Jesus. We believe that this is a scriptural teaching and we believe it is an expectation of those who follow Jesus. The, the gospels actually challenge us to be holy as our father in heaven is holy. This is a high calling. How do we live a life worthy of a calling like that? Well, the life of becoming holy 
is a life in which we sin less and less. This is a natural byproduct of becoming like Jesus, of being shaped more and more into his image. Jesus didn't sin. And so as we become more like him, we naturally move away from sin. Very practically speaking, we commit fewer sins and we commit them less often as we become holy. We believe a person who is living in holiness and righteousness, a person who is living a life worthy of the calling he or she has received, is a person who will sin less often as they continue to grow. There's a pretty popular idea in mainstream Christianity, in mainstream evangelicalism, that sin is just a part of our lives and we might as well accept it. We might as well learn to live with it. One way that this is stated is that we sin every day in word, thought, or deed. And I wanna tell you folks today that this is not a holiness mindset. This is not a holiness idea. We actually believe as holiness people, and I wanna just refer you to what Pastor Jonathan read from Galatians earlier because it illustrates this, this point so perfectly. We believe that when Jesus lived a sinless life, died on the cross and was raised from the dead, he gave us victory over sin. Oh man, that would have been a great place for a big bunch of amens. This is actually what we believe, that we have the ability to have victory over sin, that we are not destined to live in sin every day. Sin does not have to be an everyday part of our lives. Through the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, you don't have to sin. Now, if you sin later today, I don't want you to say, Brad must have been wrong. We do have to sin. No, you don't have to sin. If you sin later today, don't sin tomorrow. This is the life that Jesus has called us to. It is the life of holiness that his spirit wants to awaken in us. This is what it means to be sanctified and made holy is that we are shaped more and more into his image. And folks, as we become like Jesus, we sin less often. I will preach it. A sin today does not mean you're destined to sin tomorrow. God wants to make you new. He is saving and forgiving and redeeming and making all things new and you do not have to continue to live in sin. So what steps might you need to take to die to your old self? Do you need to switch back from a smartphone to a flip phone? because your smartphone allows you to privately access things that you don't need to be accessing? Is it time to cancel cable or Netflix or Hulu or, or to get rid of something else in your life that encumbers you, that entangles you, that distracts you from what God may be wanting to say 
to you today? Something that leads you to places where you should not be? Is it time to discipline yourself to pray more, to read your Bible more, to finally become serious about growing in your Christian walk? If we allow the pattern of sin to persist in our lives, the Holy Spirit will become progressively unable to convict us of our sin and our hearts will become hard. And Paul tells us in this passage that our hard hearts alienate us from the life of God. It's not, it's not always easy to preach. I probably had a little more boldness today because sabbatical's coming, you know? I mean, you're not gonna be able to reach me for a while. So, you know, I'm just gonna kind of lay it out there, I guess. There's a lot of reasons that it's not always easy to preach. One of the reasons for me is because I'm a people pleaser and I'm a peacemaker and I don't really like to ruffle feathers. And as I said earlier, I love you crazy people. And I would rather not say anything that may be hard for you to hear. Another reason that it's not always easy to preach is because it's hard for us to stand up here and to challenge you to change things that we're still wrestling with too. You know, kind of a humbling thing. Every time I get ready to preach, this isn't something I love to do, but every time I get ready to preach, can I tell you what happens? The Holy Spirit gently nudges me out of my comfort zone so that I may say to you something that may not be easy for you to hear, but something that, that he thinks needs to be said. I hope I'm hearing him right, that it's something that needs to be said. And I've said some of those things today. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to just invite you. I want to prompt you a little bit in prayer. If you are a follower of Jesus and there is a repeating pattern of sin in your life, something isn't right. That's not the way you learned Jesus. You were taught to put away your old self corrupted and deluded by its desires. Don't let your heart become hard and thus become alienated from God. Instead, surrender to his desire to make you new. He will save you and redeem you and forgive you if you will cooperate with his spirit and the work that he wants to do in your life. I'm just gonna give you a couple of uh, moments here to pray. Just pray privately, quietly where you are about what you've heard today.
Father, we thank you for meeting with us in this place this morning. We thank you for the work that your spirit wants to do in renewing and redeeming our lives. And God, we pray that you would help us to be sensitive to your leading. God, if there is any one of us in this place who is allowing a pattern of sin to persist in our lives, break us. Break us, we pray. God, mold us more into your image. Make us more like you. God, help us to be holy. This is what we want. We want to be a a group of people, a community of people who are being made new. And we thank you that this is the business that you're in. We love you. In Jesus' name. I'd invite you to stand with me if you would. For our benediction this morning, I wanna read to you a a short passage from another one of Paul's letters that I think is very appropriate for Independence Day from uh, the second letter to the Corinthians in chapter three. Paul writes these words. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, listen to this, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From glory to glory, he's transforming us and shaping us into his image. And that is my prayer for all of us this week, that we may be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus. Thank you. I love you. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.